Hello and welcome into episode 9 of BTN's Take 10 Podcast. As always, this is Alex Rue from BTN.com. And no offense to the guests I've had already on the show, but I think I was more excited heading into this interview than I have been for any of the previous ones we've done so far. And that's because we have a Hall of Famer on this week's episode of Take 10. This next guest literally has his portrait on the wall here at our Big Ten Network studios. He has two entire basketball courts named after him at two different schools. And the only man that could have a resume this lengthy and impressive is longtime Illinois head coach Lou Henson. And it was a huge privilege to be able to interview him last weekend in Champaign, Illinois. As many of you maybe already know, I went to Illinois for school. I also grew up in Champaign-Urbana, a few miles from campus. And Lou Henson has been a huge fixture in that community for so many years. So being able to sit down with him in Champaign last weekend was a huge honor for me personally. And despite some of the nasty illnesses Lou has battled in recent years, he was in good spirits and was more than willing to give me some of his time. So I'm very appreciative of that. Before we get to the Lou Henson interview, I did want to update you on what we have in store for the show coming up. We'll be releasing a couple episodes in conjunction with Big Ten Football Media Days in Chicago, which are taking place July 24th and 25th, so stay tuned for those episodes. And the best way to stay up to date with the show is to subscribe, whether that's on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, or however you listen to your podcasts. And please, please, please rate and leave podcast reviews and comment if you like the show. That's how we get a lot of valuable feedback on how we're doing. So please, uh, please do that if you, if you have the time. But anyway, I'm not going to hold up the Hall of Fame head coach any longer. Let's get to Take 10's interview with Lou Henson. I'm very pleased to be joined by a, a living legend, an all-time basketball coach and great. He's the all-time victories leader at, at both Illinois and New Mexico State and a, a National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Famer. It's Lou Henson. How you doing, Lou? I'm doing fine, Alex. And of course, I've known your dad. He is one of the first uh, guys I met is at Bloom when I came here, and I've known him for years. And uh, of course, we have a good uh, relationship. We we go try to go to lunch once a week, so we have a good time, and we're with other sports fans. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I'm sitting here in, in Champaign Urbana with Lou. He was kind enough to take some time out of his morning to join me. Coach, I wanna I wanna start. Early on in uh, in your life, as you reflect here, you're you're 85, 86 years old, correct? 85. 85. Okay. So as you reflect on your life, uh, did you did you always know you wanted to be a coach when you were when you were younger? Well, I pretty well knew. See, I had an outstanding high school coach who uh, had uh, he coached like Henry Iba, who was a great coach at Oklahoma State, and so I became very interested. And so I, I played basketball at New Mexico State. And then I tried to get a job, any little job in New Mexico I could get. I couldn't get a job. And so I went to the coach. He said, why don't you be a grad assistant? So I got my master's that year. And uh, it's kind of interesting. We had five superintendents come in and coach uh, a week. And so the last was was Tom Mayfield, a coach at Los Cruz High School at the system. And and so uh, he said, said, Lou, uh, after class over, he said, we need a basketball coach. Would you be interested? Since I didn't have a job, I said yes. And <laughs> so, I, so I went down and uh, 
a football guy was coaching back then. It wasn't much, but but anyway, we had good teams, state championship teams. Should have won it four times in a row. We won it three, and uh, and then uh, uh, then what happened? I was teaching math with a guy, and his his dad was president of Hardin Simpson. Now back then, Hardin Simpson University. They were good in football and, and major, but they, they've gone down some now. So I, uh, he said, why don't you apply for the job? I said, they're not going to hire high school coach <laughs> down there. Well, about two weeks later, his dad called. This is President so-and-so. Would you be interested in coming down oh, wow. and talk to us about this? And I was a high school coach. And I went, by the way, New Mexico had offered me the assistant job because Bob King, the great coach yeah. from Iowa who coached there, so I had both jobs going on at the same time. So I go down, meet with the athletic board, and they said, Coach, we want you to coach. Oh, wow. Now, they'd never had blacks. Right. And I said, now, gentlemen, there's one problem. I would not come unless you integrate. And now back there in 62, they rolled their eyes. They were shocked. Because it was they a different time back then. Oh, right? they never yeah. thought that would come about. Right. They never thought that would come about. And they said, well, that's not, we can't make that decision. Well, I guess they got with the Board of Regents, and they decided to do it. So what was it about your upbringing growing up and, um, you know, coming up during that era that made it important for you to want to integrate a school, especially out west and, and in the south like that? Well, now, in high school, I had blacks, mm-hmm. see. And, and so I wasn't going to go unless they had blacks. Yeah. I'd already made up my mind, and they decided to do it. And uh, so guess where I went recruiting? I went to Mississippi because back then, Mississippi Mississippi State would not take black players. Right. And so I recruited. So they needed a place to play. I got That's right. We, we recruited a lot of black players, and it worked out really well. Absolutely. So I'm going to go back to your high school time a little bit. It was probably a simpler a simpler job back then uh, as opposed to, to college. Did you teach a, a class while you were coaching in high school at the, at the time? Yes. As a matter of fact, I taught five math classes. Oh, wow. My first year, I had five math classes, two sports, and study hall, and other duties. And I brought home $271 a month. That's, so a, you, that's quite the far cry from the salaries that the coaches are pulling in today, too. Yeah. Alex, let me tell you another story. Here about six, seven years ago, we had a call-in show, retired coaches. And so uh, John Wooden was one of them. And this lady called in and said, Coach Wooden, I heard something I could not believe. I just can't believe it. And he said, well, what did you hear? I heard your last year at UCLA, after all those national titles, you were drawing 36,000. Oh, my goodness. He said, Miss, I want to correct you. I was drawing 325. Oh, my God. See, years ago, coaches didn't make anything. Right. Now they're overpaid. Right. <laughs> That's that's the legend, John Wooden making uh making close to minimum wage. That's insane. Right, right. That's insane. So when you were back at uh your high school teaching and and coaching, did you ever before you were approached about the college job, did you ever think you'd become a college basketball coach? Not at all. I just wanted to get a high school job. Right. I went in as an assistant, became a head coach, and I never dreamed of coaching on the college level. Just never thought it would happen. Sure. Um, so you eventually you coached at Hardin Simmons and you eventually got the job at New Mexico State, like you mentioned. And just four years into that job, you took them to, to their only Final Four in, in 1970. How did you get that program turned around so quickly at New Mexico State? Well, they were 422 the year before I went there. Yeah, and uh, and we recruited a couple of junior college players and 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 we were picked last and everything and. Uh, 
And so they, they, they call this team, our biggest guy was 6'5", two six two forwards, and we, had, we weren't supposed to be good at all. We, so we played Oklahoma City the first game, and, of course, they didn't broadcast the games or anything like that, and, and they were ranked about 10th or 11th in the country, and we upset them. We had a great team. UTEP had won the national title the year before. We beat them twice. Wow. So they could, this team was small. They called them the Miracle Midges, one of the most exciting teams I've ever coached. So how did you bring in your type of player? How did you recruit to New Mexico State after starting at, you know, the team you said went 4-22. and How were you able to convince players to come and rebuild that program? Well, it, we didn't – look, we just picked up two or three players and – what we did all fall, we worked on a spread offense. So if we got a lead on a team, like UTEP, they were six, eight, six, nine, one team off the final four, and we had them down 18 at El Paso with three deal. But we'd spread them, get them, and they couldn't cover quickness. Sure. So if we get a lead on a team, we could beat a good one. So that UTEP team, if, if people remember, that was the team that was profiled in the movie Glory Road, and that was another team that – that took that step to integrate black players into the, into the into their school. So there was a, you had a couple southern schools down in uh, in Texas that were kind of ahead of their time. Yeah. Now UTEP had had blacks before. Yeah. Now the way it came out in the movie, it, it looked like that's the first time. No, they'd had blacks, but they'd never had five blacks starting start. lineup. Right. Right. Okay. Definitely. So you made the final four in 1970 out of New Mexico State. Was that your favorite memory from, from that time? Or what was your favorite memory from, from out west, really your, from your first major coaching job? Well, uh, when we won our first state championship, that was, you know, sure. we weren't supposed to do anything. That was a big one. Miracle Midgets, I talked about right. that. That was one. Of course, the Final Four. Uh, we had a team, yeah, 68, 69, and 70, Alex, that was good enough to maybe win the national title. Sam Lacey, 6, 9, or 10. Jimmy Collins, a great player. We had two great guards, but UCLA beat us every time. I was going to say, UCLA is a team that gave you trouble. You kept running into yeah. to John Wooden and, and uh, those guys, correct? That's right. In 68, we played them, and it was a two or three point ball game. We had to foul them, see if we could win it, and lost by nine. But the other two times, they beat us pretty badly. But uh, but anyway, nobody could beat UCLA at that time. Was uh, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on those teams? We played against him two years. Then the last year, he wasn't on the team. But Valerie Bibbian, they had a great team that last year, though. Was he allowed to dunk at that time, or was it still outlawed that he that he wasn't allowed to? You know, uh, you dunk know, the ball? I can't I can't recall exactly when they eliminated that or not. But one thing's kind of interesting, Alex, is uh, they th- with a big guy and making the dunks. The rules committee thought we'll raise the basket two feet, right. and it'll put them at a disadvantage. And you know what happened? It hurt the guards more. Sure, yeah. Because, can't shoot. Because now the guards can't shoot. Sure. So we found out by experiment that you can't you can't raise the basket. That's still crazy to me that they outlawed the dunk just because of one player. And, and of course, they brought it back. But um, that's just mind-blowing to me that they would change the rule because one player was so dominant. Right, right. So, yeah. so Lou, you eventually, um, in 1975, after a great run at New Mexico State, you took the job at Illinois. You were, like you said, born in Oklahoma, raised there, and had worked pretty much out west your entire career. What drew you to Illinois? How did, how did taking that job here in Champaign-Urbana come about? I'll tell you how it happened. One morning, Cecil Coleman, AD here at Illinois, called me, and he had seen my teams play. Mm-hmm. And, 
and he wanted me to come for that. I kind of I felt that I was going to get the job if I wanted. Would you believe that Wade Walker from Oklahoma called me that afternoon? Wow. And uh, and he says, Lou, we want you to come in and talk to us about this job. And that's got to be a dream job for you, you know, growing up in oh, Oklahoma. Oh, and so uh, so uh, I said, well, uh, Wade, I'm going to Illinois. I'll go there. Thursday or Friday this next week, and then I'll come down. And oh no, we want you to come first, sure, because your folks are come in two or three days visit with your relatives and all, and we'll talk with. You. So he talked me into it. So they brought the committee into Tulsa, so I didn't have to drive from where my sister lived, not very far. And uh, so uh, he offered me the job, and they and and the AD said, Lou, we'll pay exactly what we're paying our football coach. Oh wow. That's probably a big deal, you know. Oh man, I thought I really well. He will pay you thirty thousand now. I wanted to say, you know, Wade, what is he getting under the table? <laughs> How many million is he getting? <laughs> so anyway, uh, so I, I told, I called my wife and I said, now look, uh, the coach here just left. He went to the pros. He got a great team. They got a new facility. You've got, I've got everything I want. I've got security if I take the job. And uh, since I grew up in that area, I had a good chance. They really wanted me for that job, and so, so I, I called my wife that night. Now I want to explain to the two jobs. Now you got Oklahoma; they got everything. They right. got everything. Now Illinois is in bad shape. Sure, hadn't been to NCAA maybe in twenty some years, and and bad reputation in the state, and it's just not a good situation. But I want you to think about it. And then we'll talk tomorrow. Sure. Well, I talked to her. She grew up in Illinois. I said, "Okay, what do you think?" She said, "Illinois." I said, "You got, you got to, you, you got to be crazy that we may never coach again if we go up there." <laughs> and and I mean, you know, Illinois been down for a long time. And you know, the high school coaches, the high school coaches wanted the high school coach last two or three times they'd hired. Yeah. And when I came in from Oklahoma, An not, outsider, very, not very well known. Because back then games weren't televised like they are now, right? And so uh, uh, we had a problem with in state. We had a problem in state, and so uh, but it took us two or three years to start getting some pretty good players. And then once you get one or two players out of Chicago, then it helps to recruit them. Absolutely, and and wife always knows best. So I'm sure Illini fans are very grateful for your wife. Uh, Mary suggesting that you know Illinois is the is the destination for you, and, and it all worked out. Yeah, Alex, it was Illinois or a divorce, so I had to make that decision. <laughs> that's that's fantastic, um, and we'll get a lot more into your time at, at Illinois in just a minute. But you returned to New Mexico State uh, after your time at Illinois, correct? And and I read in my research on you, is it true you didn't want to accept a salary when you returned to New Mexico State? Well, what happened, the coach had had some problems with the NCAA, sure. so, and so they fired him. Now, the AD called me about the 1st of September, and he said, now, Lou, and I'd retired that year, he said, now, we're thinking about firing the coach, and, uh, and would you be interested in coming? I said, now, look, uh, don't fire him. Wait until the end of the year. Don't fire him at this time. Yeah. I encouraged him not to do it because I thought it was a mistake. Well, he kept talking to him. Well, then anyway, kind of to the around the first of October, he called and said, "We're definitely going to, we're definitely going to uh, fire him." And uh, would you come? And I talked to my wife. We as we were drawing our retirement, we we weren't wealthy, but I, I told the AD, "I will come with one stipulation: you don't pay me." Right. Because I'd spent time in high school there in college, and so I worked that first year 
for uh, they had to pay me a dollar to make it legal. Right. Yeah. So when they took every, they took, uh, they took all oh, that three dollar check when they took everything out. I only received seventy six cents. <laughs> so after, so it wasn't, after it wasn't, taxes, yeah. it wasn't even a full dollar. <laughs> right. That's that's awesome. So you're the only coach that I could find and think of that has two college basketball courts named after you. So you made such an impression at New Mexico State, and then of course at Illinois that you have the Lou Henson Court at, at two arenas. That's got to be such a huge honor. It is really an honor. And of course, John Wooden is the only one. I think at uh, Indiana State. That floor is named after him. Oh, okay, and so John Wooden. Yeah, and and, uh, and at uh, at UCLA, of course. Of course, right. And once you got to Illinois, you you mentioned you had to start getting the players out of Chicago to, to start competing. But what was the biggest challenge? Because you, you didn't uh, you didn't make the NCAA tournament until your sixth year. So what was the biggest challenge early on to, to start building the program, like you mentioned, from a rough spot early we, on? We just recruited some players that were pretty good players. Mm-hmm. And then finally, about the second year or third, we recruited Levi Cobb, who was a good player. Then after that, he is out of Chicago. After that, we started bringing them in. Yeah. And the next year, we had some good players come in. And I had good players in the state. So, uh, And then we kept going, and we were making good players. And, you know, we had – had that run for about 15, 18 right, years. Took off. Really good team. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you didn't make it till your sixth year of the NCAA tournament. But after that, once you made it in nineteen eighty one, you only missed it once in the in the next ten years. But early on, was there ever any any doubt in your mind that you had that you had uh, maybe made the wrong call by choosing Illinois? Because if you're going, you know, you're missing the NCAA tournament, some doubt had to creep in maybe in, in your head. Oh, the first three or four years, I really had my doubts yeah. because I thought coming in, I was pay, I was making a mistake by choosing Illinois, and it was so hard with all the players in the state. I thought surely we can get it going, but I, I after a while, I had my doubts because we weren't recruiting anybody sure. good enough. You had some really iconic moments through, over your two plus decades, um, some really famous buzzer beaters that we still see the highlights of to this day. Uh, you had Eddie Johnson in, in 1979, Nick Anderson beat Indiana in, in uh, 1989, and then Andy Kaufman 1994. What was your what was your favorite uh, game ending buzzer beater from from your era at Illinois? First of all, Alex, I'm going to criticize coaches. Okay. I see it all the time. With two seconds to go or something like that, they'll throw the ball in the backcourt. You don't have a chance to win. Right. Hey, we all when we had two seconds, we'd go full court. Sure, and that's that, that's how. Uh, now on the uh, when we beat Michigan State when they were number one, yeah, uh, that wasn't the case. We we had uh, Eddie Johnson hit that shot yep, to, to, to win it, but uh, the other games like Indiana, we had a play set up a double pick. We threw the length of the floor and scored with two seconds to go to beat them. And and Kaufman, the same thing. We won ba- ball games by throwing against the front court. And that's one mistake I see coaches make all the time. Hey, with you, when you have one or two seconds, you still have a chance to win the game. Sure. But throw the ball in the backcourt, you don't have a chance. Right. You can't get the ball down in time. In 1979, that, that shot by Eddie Johnson beat Magic Johnson and the, the eventual national champions. What was it like? seeing a Hall of Famer, an NBA Hall of Famer like Magic Johnson in, in his prime in college. He, he was tremendous. But we had a great game. And then what happened the following Monday, well, that Saturday we had such a great game against uh, Michigan State that we played Ohio State and we lost in overtime. Then we went to Wisconsin 
and her point guard uh, tore up his knee. Right. And we had some other injuries, so we didn't do so well. But but we had a good ball club. We were number one for a couple of days. Sure. Um, yeah, that season took a turn for the worse once, like you mentioned, that, that injury happened. Um, I know Illini fans, one, I, like I wasn't born at the time, but I always hear stories about the 84 team playing against, they made the Elite Eight, and they played against Kentucky, and if you any Illini fan that wasn't alive at the time, it's unbelievable to hear. Like for me, playing at in the Elite Eight, and this is the NCAA tournament at Rupp Arena against Kentucky for a trip to the Final Four, and and the um, I don't know the, the the magnitude of playing that game on a, on a visitors' court. How how are you guys? What did you guys think going into that game, knowing you had to face Kentucky on their home floor? Yeah, we had a good ball club, Alex, and and our players thought they could win. It is a it is two or three point ball game, and we got a bad call at the end. And by the way, we would beat Maryland about ten, eleven, twelve points in the semifinals, but Ephraim Winters sprained his ankle, sure, so he didn't work out for two days. We taped him up, and he played. And then, then the game go either. They had two seven footers. Had a great team. That team should have been in the final four and had a chance to win it. Absolutely. So you came up short that year. I know there were some very questionable calls in that game on their home floor. Go figure, right? I mean, it's it's Kentucky on their home floor. It's it's hardly unexpected. But you guys eventually did get another shot at the final four. Obviously, in 1989 with your your most famous team, the Flying Illini. Um, I want to I want to get into how that team came together. How did you recruit, and, and when did you know you had something special when you started to bring that class of players together? Well, I knew pretty early because we had Kenny Battle, who is a tremendous player. Now, it's interesting how we got Kenny Battle. He was at Northern. Now, Northern pulled out of the MAC, yep. and they fired their coach, John McDougal. Well, he said he's leaving. Well, we thought, hey, so we recruited him. He sure. wanted to come here. And so uh, – and then we had the other guys, the final four, and uh, and so uh, uh, it was. Uh, it was it really we had a chance to win it two years in a row. We, uh, the, when those guys were juniors, we went out to play a great LSU team. Yeah, and uh, we scored 127 points. Sure, Dale Brown, was the that coach. Shaquille O'Neal's team. Yeah, yeah. No, it was another team. Oh, okay, but we beat Sha- Shaquille at our place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Later on, but anyway. Uh, so we went down, and, and, and the coach down is a good friend of mine. And uh, and so uh, I looked up at, right after half. We had a two-point lead in 15, so I, I took my first team out. The second team shot better than the first team. Oh, wow. And we scored 127 points, set a school record. And the coach came up to me uh, and said, Coach, I really appreciate you attempting to hold the score down. <laughs> and we did. We played the second team, but they were better. Can you imagine a, – a, I don't think a college team has scored 127 points. I can't re- ever remember one scoring 127 points. That's a, that's a mind-boggling number. Alex, that team had a chance to w- win it all. In the finals of the regionals, we played uh, uh, Villanova. We had them down 12 with uh, three minutes to go. Yeah. They fouled us five straight times, and we missed every shot, and they made four three-point shots. Free throws. Always yep. come back to haunt you. And the next year, the next year we had some – Health issues when we were going up in Minneapolis when we went against uh, Louisville, and they had a great team that year. Sure. Uh, Battle slipped on water the day yeah. before and Warm-ups, sprained right? it. Yeah. yeah, so we couldn't, we played maybe a couple of minutes in, in, in that game, and uh, 
and then Lowell sprained his ankle, and he before we played Michigan that that third time, uh, Lowell sprained his ankle. Didn't even work out all week. Right. So we had some, we've had some bad luck in in playoff games. Sure. But I guess every team does. Sure. What was your favorite memory from that season in, in particular? It's such a special season. I mean, winning 31 games, going to the Final Four, and really putting the Illini in the national spotlight. What was your favorite memory from that season? One game that I'll remember, uh, Georgia Tech had a great ball club. Oh, yeah. Great ball club. We played at our place, and I think we scored over 100 and they did, but Kendall Gill broke his yep, foot yep. in that ball. Now, that had to be, that's one of the best games that I've been involved in. Yeah, that, that Georgia Tech game, we, we did a special video segment over at Big Ten Network on that, and we rewatched the game, brought uh, Stephen Bardo in, and, and we rewatched it. So I got to watch that whole game with him, and uh, it was just a roller coaster of emotions because, like you said, Kendall Gill broke his foot, and he's on the on the bench, you know, distraught, but it was the, one of the most thrilling games of all time. You had uh, Kenny Battle with the, the dunk at the end to seal it. Yes, yes. So that was unbelievable. Um, and I just want to go back a little bit. Before the '89 team, you had some you had some really good teams, like you said. The team in '88 had a chance to, to go to the Final Four, but uh, they had some they had some bad luck and bad uh, bad free throw shooting against Villanova. What the the, the legend that I always hear, um, especially being being a national story, is is the the legend of Benji Wilson from Simeon, who. Was rumored to have been a you know a, a Illinois lean and was was a favorite to go to Illinois before he was tragically shot and killed in, in Chicago. What was your relationship with Benji and 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 do you think he would maybe have come to Illinois if he hadn't uh, you know if his time hadn't come too soon? I thought we had a real good chance of recruiting him because we had his teammates and players from Chicago and so I thought we did. It was a sad day. When he was shot in the afternoon, we were going to the tournament in Alaska. So we had a two-hour layover, and uh, and my wife and I took a cab down to the house. Yeah. Now, that was a sad time. Oh, I'm sure. To be with a family like that, but uh, we wanted to be with them, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's terrible to lose a player like that. Uh, it's just a shame that that happened to him. Yeah, it's a tragedy. And, and then now we see, obviously, the, the players from Simeon honoring him by wearing number 25 we've had. Um, you know, Kendrick Nunn did that, Calvin Brock, plenty of Simeon players that have come to Illinois, and then you see Derek Rose as well at Memphis honoring his legacy by sure, winning 25. Sure. Um, let's move on to your uh, – actually, before before we move on, I did want to get on – since we're on the subject of the 1989 team, one of the biggest topics of debate among Illinois fans is whether that 1989 team, how they would have fared against – another iconic Illinois team, if they were to somehow play when they were both in their primes. That's the 2005 squad that went to the Final Four in the national championship game. So if you if you had all your guys in, the, in 1989, the flying Illini in their prime, could they have beaten D. Brown, Darren Williams, James Augustine, Luther Head, and, and, and that, that there's squad? No, there's no question in my mind. They would beat us at the point guard. They'd beat us there. Darren. We have, th- we have three positions that, they ca- that we're going to win. We, I mean, we three guys that they cannot stop, and, uh, and Kendall Gill, and and we, he was on the wing, and of course we had uh, we had a lot of good people in battle, and uh, no, we had three outstanding players, and all of our guys were good. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I think we would win that. We have better personnel. Sure. Now at guard, they're going to beat us, but we're going to beat them at the other positions. I mean, you look at who 
from your team had success in the NBA. You had multiple players go on to have long careers in the NBA. Really, that 2005 team, I mean, they had Darren Williams, who had a, who is still playing and had a fantastic career. Luther Head had a good career in the NBA. But really, your guys, like you said, the athleticism probably would have been the difference, and, and they proved it by going on to have, have great professional careers, too. Yeah. See, Eddie Johnson, even though uh, he wasn't recognized coming out like some of the others, he had over 20,000 points in the NBA. Sure. So uh, we had some good ones. I want to ask you about some of the challenges – recruiting in the state during your time what, what was the the scene like when you had to go into Chicago and recruit and, and how were you able to you know relate to the kids in in Chicago and, and in other places to to get convince them to come down to Champaign-Urbana well it, it was tough it was really tough but we had uh, uh, <clears throat> you know we worked when I came to Illinois I said look we have a bad reputation in the state yeah what we're going to do, we're going to get into at least 500 high schools. They won't have players, but we're going to go in and see the coaches, see them when they don't have players. Sure. Then when they have players, maybe we'll get one of them. Well, we exceeded that. Back then, you could be on the road every day. We had four coaches. We ran over 600 high schools in this state in one year. Wow. And and that kind of helped us with the coaches, and that's how we built it up. Sure. And it, it's such a you put such a heavy emphasis on the high school coaches Today it seems like it's totally different, you know. I mean, some some coaches might not even get into high schools; they just follow the the AAU team. So I wanted to get your thoughts on the difference between the recruiting process when you were when you were coaching and how it relates to today, when when really no emphasis or little emphasis is placed on high school, and it's all pretty much they get out in the summer and recruit. I wouldn't want to coach today because yeah. when I coached, you dealt with the high school coaches. Mm-hmm. Now you got the agents. You got sure. to deal with the agents, and that is a mess. I just, uh, I, it's tough. It's tough to have that going on, but it's it's happening. Sure, and you see, like this weekend, the coaches are all over the place. They're in Atlanta. They're out in Las Vegas. It's such a. I feel like it's such a grind on them physically and mentally to to fly all over the country in the summer. And it's it's your off season, but it's really not. That's right. You got to go to all these tournaments, and they have five or six of them, big ones. And our coaches are going to all of them. Well, you have to because there are players there you want to see. And uh, but again, when you go back home, you got to got to deal with the agents. Yep. Yep. So um, I want to another comparison to your era as opposed to now. When you were coaching in the Big Ten, there were some really legendary, legendary coaches, Hall of Fame coaches, and it was really like the, the '80s was an era that you know hasn't really been been matched as far as far as coaches go. You had Bobby Knight at Indiana, obviously, Lute Olson, Judd Heathcote, and, and and Gary Williams. How do you think the recent Big Ten era of basketball coaches, with you know Bo Ryan who recently retired and Tom Izzo, how do you think your era? of Hall of Fame coaches compares to what's going on now in the Big Ten? I do not think we'll ever have a group of coaches in a conference like we had. Sure. All of them went to the Final Four, won national titles. They were tremendous coaches with experience, and they had recruiting ability. Now, the Big Ten has been down for a while, and uh, and it's still down. We have five or six teams in the Big Ten that are not very good, and and so uh, it's just not like it used to be. But uh, no, we'll now we have good coaches in the Big Ten now, sure. but we'll never have the number of coaches in the Big Ten like we had when I was coaching back then. Sure, it was it was a definitely a legendary era, and um, you know it's 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 amazing to look back on it and see all the uh, the Hall of Famers that that coached at that time. Uh, you obviously stay connected with a lot of the. Um, 
the players from from when you coached at Illinois. You were just at a, a golf outing with with Kendall Gill, correct? Kendall Gill, yes. We were, as a matter of fact, the night before Kendall came in with his family, yeah, and from the children's home, we had about fifteen there. We had dinner with them, and then we went out to have lunch and. Uh, I didn't see him play any because I used to play in that tournament, but before I had an injury. But uh, yeah, we uh, Kendall's done when he signed his contract. He bought a home and the children's home. I, uh, I don't have many thousand, but he bought that, and he's done a lot for the children's home. Yeah, the Cunningham Children's yeah. Home out in Urbana. He has a, a charity event every year. He's done some unbelievable work, and. There were some videos posted online of him, and he's been posting these regularly of him working out and playing basketball. He looks like he's in incredible shape. He looks like he could still, you know, still hang with some guys in the NBA right now. Did you did you see any of those videos of him dunking at age 50, 51? Nah, he, he's in great shape. He looks like he did when he played yeah, for him. But now, let me tell you, this Tuesday, they got a three-on-three tournament going. Right, I was going to bring okay? that up. And he is going to play Tuesday night. I don't. It's going to be on Fox. I don't know what time, but I'll find out. But he'll be playing in that. There are going to be a lot of great players yeah. playing in that because these are good players that didn't quite make the NBA. Sure. And we'll, we'll naturally be watching that. Yeah, you're talking about the Big Three tournament, and a lot of it is uh, also retired NBA players that, um, you know, that it's, it's, a, it's a league put on by Ice Cube, Allen Iverson, and, and you get all the former NBA players and some other guys, like you said, that didn't quite make it to, together. And originally, Kendall was not selected for the Big Three tournament. He was pretty upset about that. And then he eventually got picked up. Could you believe that he wasn't picked up originally and drafted? Well, that's right. But there are a lot of great players. Yeah, and, see, and, and again, politics enter into Sure, absolutely. So. It's good that uh, that, he, that he's you know on our team now, and we'll definitely be watching to see, uh, that's see right. how he does. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm going to ask you a little bit about the current era of Illinois basketball in a second, but I do want to touch on one more uh, rumor that I heard from when you were coaching is it true that you never in your coaching career said a swear word? To I don't. Players? I never did in my life. Never in your life? No, no. I, just, I didn't learn it. I didn't learn you it. You don't know how? No. So you see all these coaches, you know, today, they'll, have, they'll be mic'd up or a microphone, and they're, you know, using all these swear words to their players, and you just you had a Hall of Fame career without ever using that's, a swear that's word. That's right. No, it wasn't part of my language, and I just never did. Never did that's incredible. swear. Yeah. And then a couple of... I just want to get your, your perspective on a couple more institutions that you implemented at Illinois in your days. First of all, one that I think is one of the most significant things you did is, is you started the Orange Crush, the student section that's uh, the charitable student section that to this day raises thousands and thousands of dollars for local charities. Alex, when I came here, we had about 3,000 first ball game, had no student support. And so we got seven players in our living room. And that's how it was organized. Yeah, and uh, and we gave out T-shirts to about sixty, and they didn't even show up for the game. Oh wow! And so, uh, but it's one of the great organizations, the best in the USA. Uh, it's unbelievable what they have done. How did the charitable aspect come in and get? Was that was that was that your idea, or how how did the uh, the charity like? Because they they raise money for charity every year and donate. How did how did that become a part of the student section? Now that happened a lot. Like our, like we had everything going, had a lot of students, but that really came about after I retired. But we were on our way. Did you ever getting, did you ever uh, think that 
the organization that you started in, in your basement would turn into such a large student group like it is today? Never, never dream. Because, I mean, there's not a school in the country that has a, a booster club like we have with the Orange Crush. Sure. And now another thing, that year they had disassembled a booster club because they had some problems with it. And uh, so they didn't have one. So I went to Cecil Coleman. I said, now, we want to start a booster club. He said, no, I don't want to do it. Well, I talked him into doing it. He said, well, you have to be responsible for it. And so uh, we formed that, and we've had – that's been a great uh, support group. Right. Another, just another example of an institution that's lasted long after your career at Illinois ended. One more iconic um, signature of your career was the, the orange jacket, the orange blazer that you wore on the sidelines. And it, it's been carried on by Illinois coaches to this day. How did you get the – idea to wear an orange jacket on the sideline well early i wore it and i liked it and uh, and i thought you know hey this is a way i show support for the university and my team yeah and i wore it all the time and uh, so uh, now i'll tell you we're gonna have a game in chicago this year yeah new mexico yep, state yep. united now, center now yep. last year i helped the young coach coach mm-hmm. we won 26 ball games not a great schedule but we lost two great guards, so that's going to be a good game. Sure. Now I think Illinois will win it, but uh, but it it could be a very good game. Well, anyway, here I am, final four, New Mexico State final four up there. So I've already decided what I'm. I've got an orange coat and a crimson coat. I'm going to have a the uh, it altered and uh, have one and one color and one another oh, wow. for the ball game. That'll be pretty cool. Yeah, be yeah. cool to see. Looking forward to seeing you out there up there in Chicago yeah. in December, right? That's right. Um, who was the who was the how did you first get that orange jacket made? Did someone in town make it for you or did you ask someone to make it? Well, down Arthur. Down Arthur, in, Illinois. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Amish country. So, yeah, so they had it and I, that's uh, I've owned several. I've given a lot of them away, but uh, I've owned several through the years. That's pretty cool. So if you if you need an orange jacket, head down head down to Arthur. Um, one more memory that has been more recent was the court dedication in Illinois. It took place two two years ago against Notre Dame. What was that night like for you to to be honored and and have the court at State Farm Center dedicated in your name? Well, it was really a special honor because you know a lot of the courts uh, they have they have sponsors and get a lot of money sure, for that, yeah. and so uh, so I, I kind of thought that's probably the way they would go. But uh, when uh, Thomas told me they were going to honor the, they were going to name the floor after me, that's quite an honor, and sure. of course it meant a lot to us. Absolutely. And before I let you go, Lou, um, I do want to talk about the current new era of Illinois basketball. Illinois moved on from John Gross. Last year, brought in Brad Underwood from from your neck of the woods down in uh, Texas and Oklahoma State. What are your thoughts and impressions of, of Brad Underwood and the job he's done so far, and the job you think he's going to do going forward? Well, he's the one I wanted. He's, yeah. he's the one I wanted to coach, and I made that clear. Uh, I see when he was Western Illinois and had good ball. He assisted over there, assisted Kansas State and and different places. But I saw most of his games play when he coached Oklahoma State last year. Yeah. And and I he's a good defensive coach, he's a good offensive coach, and I think we got a good one. He'll so you, do a good job. You think he can uh get Illinois back to the top of the, the Big Ten where they belong soon enough? I think he can. Now this year I think it maybe it'll be around the middle of the pack. I don't know, because I don't know the personnel that well. But uh whatever he does, he's gonna get it going because he's he's a good uh, public relations guy and uh 
He knows how to coach, and he's a good defensive coach. No coach can win in this league unless you're a good defensive coach. Sure thing. you got to be. Absolutely. The Big Ten is uh, – I think it's going to be uh, – they're going to have a better year. They had an okay year last year. I think they have a better year this year with some of the talent sticking around. So it's going to be interesting to see, like you said, how, how Illinois fares. Lou, that's, that's all I got for you today. I, I appreciate it so much for you coming by and taking some time out. Thank Alex, so I have one other thing I want to say. Go now, right ahead. I mentioned you got to be a defensive coach. Yeah. In high school, my first year, we didn't have much of a ball club, right. a head coach. And so uh, we lost the first game at 25, and we fooled around and got in the state tournament. And the writers were saying, how did, it, how did Las Cruces get up here? Well, the first game, and back then in, in New Mexico, if you have one top team, you're doing well yeah. in high school. We had three. Oh, wow. We had three. Our first game was against Albuquerque High. Tremendous ball club. We won by three points. The next game, we played Carlsbad. They had Tom Patty, 6'9", uh, a college player. Wolf, a college player. They had three. We had nobody. Could probably play junior college ball. We won by one. Oh, wow. And then we won the state championship. But I'm getting to this point on defense. Yeah. In the state tournament that year, those three teams shot 27% against us. Oh, wow. That's you how know, we you know won what they it. say, defense, defense, defense wins championships. Defense wins it. We had, didn't have much of an offense, but a tremendous defensive team. Defense wins championships, and that's that's uh, maybe what will get Illinois back to the back to the top of the Big Ten. Uh, Lou, I could I could talk to you, you know, for hours on on basketball and really any other subject, but I don't want to take up too much of your time this morning. So I appreciate you coming by and uh, giving me some of your some of your time and, and some of your wisdom. Thank you so much. Well, nice to be with you, Alex, and you know more about me than I do. <laughs> you know a lot no, about what I've done. No way, no way, Lou, no way. Once again, thanks so much to Lou Henson for joining me. I also have to give a special shout out to my grandfather who as Lou alluded to at the beginning of the interview, has known Coach Henson for quite a long time and who helped broker this interview and made it possible. So thanks to those two for making it happen. And I just want to reiterate one more time how beloved and revered Coach Henson is in not just the Illinois community, but the New Mexico State community. And how he didn't have to do this interview, didn't have to take the time to do it, but he couldn't have been more gracious and more accommodating. So really do appreciate that so thanks to uh, Wes White for producing as always and thanks to everyone for listening don't forget subscribe rate comment the show and we'll talk to you next time on take 10